0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Yeah! Yeah. I'm America's greatest country in the world. San Diego's America's finest city. Thanks for being here. Have a great weekend. The only other time I remember ever talking about Ukraine on this show ever, Uh, there was a passing reference to this comedian guy who won the presidency there. Zelensky. everyone knows him now. Uh, but years ago, we talked about uh, Ukraine uh, when it came to Stalin and what he did to Ukraine. But that was really mostly in the context of Walter Durante. Uh, we were talking about, well, specifically the New York Times and how they have a long history of lying to you. But it was bigger than the New York Times. Um, There's just propagandists, right? reporters, journalists, writers, abundance, people lying, deceiving, wishful thinking. It's on a scale, right? Wishful thinking. Is, is you know the, the nicest way to put it, all the way to straight up lying, uh, blinded by ideology somewhere in the middle there. Uh, Walter Duranty was a, well, I don't know. I'd say propagandist, but I don't know his motivation. So he was there. He was a New York Times reporter in Moscow during the Soviet Union, uh, reporting back that everything was great. <laughs> what are you guys... What are you talking about? It's like Disneyland over here. It's amazing. And he won a Pulitzer Prize. It'd be like, I would never, no one would know this guy's name. I would never talk about him if there was a reporter who got something wrong. The guy won a Pulitzer Prize. He was lifted up. He won a Pulitzer Prize for this reporting. It'd be one thing if he won a Pulitzer Prize for some other report. He didn't know for this. It's reporting on the Soviet Union in Moscow saying everything's hunky-dory. Do uh, you know the? Uh, I got to look this up because I got to give you the exact description uh, here. Uh, uh, yeah, they both, unbelievable. New York Times and Washington Post. I was wondering, what, I was like, was it New York Times or Washington? Post? They both won the Pulitzer Prize for their reporting on Russia and Trump in 2016. <laughs> for Here's their award for deeply sourced, deeply sourced, relentlessly. It was all made up relentlessly sure was reported coverage in the public interest that dramatically furthered the nation's understanding of Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election and its connection to the Trump campaign. What, what interference do we know of any, do they prove any, they talk about any, what exactly? What what interference? They won Pulitzer prizes and it was all wrong. And now we know that it was Clinton who tried to spot on Trump's campaign as Trump said all along. Anyway, uh, Walter Durante, he said, any report of a famine in Russia is today an exaggeration or malignant propaganda. Uh, he said, conditions are bad, but there's no famine. He said, yes, the process of collectivization can, can be tricky. He said, but to put it brutally, you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs. That's his line. You cannot make an omelet without breaking eggs. This, was a, he, he didn't, um, this isn't on the record. Like He didn't write this. But the story goes, uh, there were a bunch of reporters were talking about how do we report on people dying from famine? And his suggestion was nothing. We say nothing. He said, what are a few million dead Russians in a situation like this? Quite unimportant. This is just an incident in the sweeping historical changes here. I think the entire matter is exaggerated, right? So he was uh, at least blinded by his ideology. What's a few million dead Russians? We got we got some revolution to win here, right? We're this is communism, baby. We're t- we got some big time progress to make. What's a few million a million dead Russians? Won a Pulitzer Prize. The Nation said that at the time that he had the most enlightened, dispassionate dispatches. Dispa- dispassion. Let me get the record uh, definition. It means like. Uh, you're lacking. You're unbiased, uh, not influenced by strong emotion, and so able to be rational and impartial. <sighs> not <laughs> well. I mean, it, is black-hearted dispass? Is that the same thing? Oh, it's a few million dead people. We we got we got communism to usher in. Is that dispassionate? Is heartless and dispassionate the same? Uh, they said he had the. Um, most enlightened dispassionate dispatches from a great nation in the making, which appeared in any newspaper in the world. <laughs> it's straight-up propaganda, right? So what was he writing about? What was Walter Durante uh, writing about? Well, the topic is now more relevant. Not, not, this topic's no longer Walter Duranty. It is now what he was writing about. The uh, Hullidamore. Hullidamore, Hullidamore, Hullidamore. Different pronunciations. It means uh, death by hunger. Hunger plague is another version of it. Uh, I guess the, the word has a connotation of, uh, what is it? It's a connotation of like a forced or a, a cruelty to it. It was 1932 to 1933. So 10 years prior to that, 1922, the Ukraine became a part of the Soviet Union. And they were, and are in many ways, uh the breadbasket of the region this is why we say uh you think it's bad when o- Russia controls five percent of the oil what, what, what's the world gonna do when everyone realizes that they also control 30 percent of the world's wheat production rut row so Stalin took him over and then uh said hey we need collective farms this whole private property thing's not working for the revolution the whole thing so we're gonna have collective farms it'll be great so give me your land and landowners in Ukraine said no so then they killed them or or sent them to labor camps and their land was confiscated so Stalin called them kulaks if you heard this term kulak it means well-to-do farmer I guess there were like three different levels of peasant and these were the uh, most well-to-do right? and they were enemies of the state and this predates this whole story it predates Ukraine and, and all that right uh, but it just means like a wealthy peasant, wealthy farmer. You have to, you own a certain number of acres, like eight acres or something. You're a kulak. Lenin called them bloodsuckers, vampires, plunderers of the people, and profiteers who fatten themselves during famine. And so there are a bunch of so he came. Oh, you're a bunch of kulaks and and enemies of the state. And Stalin did not like how much resistance the Ukrainians were putting up. So he starved them to death. Now they don't admit to it now. Of course they say, Oh, it was just a bad luck, bad luck, bad crop year, whatever. Somewhere between three and 12 million people died somewhere between three and 12 million people. And I always, whenever there was a, a range like that, I always thought that was so bizarre. Like you guys can't pinpoint it down a little more than that. That's a big difference. Three to 12 million people. But then I, you know, we, well, we went through COVID like how many people died of COVID? I don't I have no idea. No one has any idea. died with COVID from COVID. George Floyd, he died he had COVID when he died. Did he die from COVID with COVID? Like, I, I, we have no clue. So let's just set on five million. It seems like an average-ish number that historians tend to set on. Five million Ukrainians were killed by Stalin. There's no way that was just a bad crop year. Although, yes, it was, right, that they did have no crops, but that's because of the Soviet policies made it bad. And then it was, you know, torment and genocide. The Soviet police would go into people's houses and look for food that people were hoarding. And they'd kill you if they found any. The police, they found two boys who were hiding frogs that they caught. And they were beaten, dragged through the town, their mouths tied, their noses stuffed left in the street to suffocate. People were eating tree bark, leaves, flowers, grass. Did you imagine? Of course, they'd eat pets, any animal they could find. Let me quote, a woman doctor wrote to a friend, June 20, uh, 1933, that she had not yet be, not yet become a cannibal, but was not sure that I shall not be one. By the time my letter reaches you, the good people died first. Those who refused to steal or to prostitute themselves died. Those who gave food to others died. Those who refused to eat corpses died. Those who refused to kill their fellow man died. Parents who resisted cannibalism died before their children did. And here we are again. The Soviets killing Ukrainians again. And it's going to be a long road. I remind you again, as we had to make this reminder often in the first few days, it's going to be a long time. Things do not all move at the speed of Twitter. Things do not move at the speed of news cycles. This could last years. And most deaths could come from forced famines forced starving people who knows what they have planned but I don't think it ends anytime soon history repeats itself that's why you gotta know it uh two points to make maybe we'll make them both here uh just came across this this is nothing to do with anything oh no you know why I was top of mind because uh Saudi Arabia just executed 81 people at one time so this is You know, the mass execution of 81 people. Uh, But bringing it closer to home, there's a common argument that pro-abortion people make from time to time, and I just want to provide some proper perspective to this. Uh, And what this pro-abortion person will say is, how can you, a pro-life person, also be for the death penalty? You say you're pro-life for babies, but you're pro-death penalty for Ah, murderers, right? Uh, Now, first thing is, I'm not pro-death but me personally. I'm for much crueler means of punishment than sweet, sweet death. The death penalty lets people off way too easy for their atrocities. Oh, they'll have plenty of time in hell, don't worry. Why rush? But let's say that I am indeed pro-life and anti-right, so I'm against abortion. And pro-death penalty, right? That argument from the left, from pro-abortion people, it doesn't work because uh, there are two reasons. First, uh, how many people are executed every year in the United States of America? How many people are are put to death? I got twenty twenty numbers. In 2020, 17 people were killed in the death penalty, 17. In 2020, there were 910,000 abortions. (laughs) Okay, like those those are different numbers. And that's based on the 38 states that self-report. We don't know what the real number is. That number's high. I've, I've, well, no, it's probably not. because No, I take it back. Because I've always heard it's like 600,000 abortions. But I think that's just Planned Parenthood. So you had other groups that provide abortions as well. So you had like 700,000. Let's call it. It could be over a million. Right? Uh, 17 versus 900,000. Those are different numbers. Behind door number one, I'll give you seventeen dollars. Behind door number two, you get nine hundred thousand dollars. Is anyone going to be like, "Well, well, whatever"? I don't know. It doesn't matter to me. They're pretty much the same. No, seventeen versus nine hundred thousand. Those are very different. So when someone changes the subject away from abortion to the death penalty, they are uh, being ridiculous. But then they'll say, "Oh, no, it's not about the numbers. It's about being morally consistent." okay well that's easy too uh there's a major difference between the uh, innocence of a baby and the guilt of a murderer so also real quick while we're sort of on the topic of cannibalism in the last segment if you're just tuning in you're like wait what did i miss paul you're like who he was the big environmentalist in 1968 he wrote population bomb there's too many people on the planet we're all going to die one of the great doomsdayers of our era one of the great big environmentalists right and a lot of the environmentalists today have taken his same arguments and just repackaged them a little bit right uh so in 2014 after decades of predictions never coming to fruition at all in any way at all just wrong time a decade after decade after decade of being wrong clinging to relevance he made another claim in 2014 desperate to scare people in his last breaths on this earth he says we will soon be asking is it perfectly okay to eat the bodies of your dead because we're all so hungry because there'd be be, Global famine because there's too many people. It was 2014 he said that. <laughs> These are the doomsdayers that are still with us today in the environmentalist movement, and it's that type of doomsdaying which is leading people to lose their minds and support all types of ridiculous uh, programs, which we'll talk about more in the 2 o'clock hour, but that's why the head of the UN, who's a socialist from Portugal, can say that the th- the five most urgent emergency items, number one, fight COVID, number two, transform the global financial System. What? And number three is fight climate change. Those are all connected. Those are all the same. They're going to use COVID and climate change to transform the global financial system. So all this doomsdaying and freaking people out leads to all the uh, monetary tyranny that we'll talk about coming up at two o'clock. Let me shift over to oil here for a minute. Uh, I believe this is right what Eric Erickson is talking about here. He said the highest that oil has ever hit, the record high for oil was 2008 $1.47 and 90 cents $1.47 a barrel but oil plunged the next day by the end of that week oil prices were down 12% by November oil was back to $30 <laughs> what so from so July it's not 147 a barrel and then November it's 30 what's going on he said what caused the plunge on July 15th 2008 Well, President George W. Bush announced he was authorizing offshore oil exploration. That's it. That's the only thing that happened. News outlets said it would amount to nothing. The Obama team dismissed it as a stunt, but it directly caused the price of oil to start declining. Why? Because oil is bought in a futures market, not a present market. The market responded to the information that more American oil would be coming online by sending prices down the United States today has larger oil reserves than either Russia or Saudi Arabia the U.S. is sitting on 200 excuse me yeah 264 billion barrels that's 8 billion more than Russia and 52 billion more than Saudi Arabia isn't that amazing so I don't know what the details of that fact are like a lot of this oil could be more difficult to extract than say the oil in Saudi Arabia so we may have more of it but there's easier to get to or the ours is maybe you have to do fracking and in, oil, in Saudi Arabia you don't stuff like that right so I don't exactly know the metrics here, but the point is that if we expanded our domestic production today, or even, not, not even if we did, if Biden just said we're going to, then prices would drop. Or if, if he said we were going to, and people believed him, then prices would drop because the futures uh, would signal that more is coming. But that—that's not what the, our president's doing. Not at all. He's going in the other direction. He's saying we need more electric vehicles. No companies, no oil companies, no investors are going to invest in exploration and extraction when the president comes on and says that we are we we're, got to end our use of fossil fuel. This is not going to happen. When the president of the United States says we are going to end this industry, it's not good for business. Now, of course, it's not going to go away. Oil is still the lifeblood of our economy. and People still think that, uh, what's the percentage? Sorry. Uh barrel for gasoline. I'm gonna say 30%. It's less than I than you think. That's the job. Oh, I always sign on to this weird Wi-Fi account automatically. I gotta I don't know what it is. All right, let's see. Uh 45%. What did I say? 35%? 45% of uh oil is refined into gasoline. The rest is used for plastics and, and other things. So we're never gonna get rid of oil.
2: No purchase necessary void were prohibited by law
1: 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details so you can get rid of it but and it's the lifeblood of our economy and therefore our lives but the rhetoric is surely not helping i gotta go but let me say this eric erickson says decline is a choice and it's one of the biden administration is making on the backs of the american middle class their marie antoinette moment of let them have electric vehicles is going to provoke a backlash. They can blame Putin all they want. Banning Russian imports of oil may be the right thing to do, but it should responsibly be done by expanding American energy production instead of relying on Venezuela, Iran, and Saudi Arabia. Could you think of any more ridiculous and dangerous policy than this one from our president? So, how do you do? It is March 14th. That is... Unbelievable. Uh, we need to get an update for the uh, with the Warrior Foundation Freedom Station because it's been a long time and time is flying. And I want to give you opportunities to help and support because uh, our guys need our help and support. Sandy Lemkooler is here. She's the the founder of Warrior Foundation Freedom Station right here on AM seven hundred and sixty. Uh, and Junior's here as well. How are you, Junior? And Sandy? Say hi. Hi. Hey guys. Uh, Sandy, how are you?
3: Well, this is Junior Mike.
1: Oh, only Junior?
3: No, Sandy's here too. Hold on, I'll pass. Oh, you we're back doing the, the hand
1: day. back and forth. Got gotcha, you, got gotcha, you, got gotcha. you. Junior, what's your what's your what's your job title at the Warrior Foundation? Yes, sir. What's your what's your exact title? Uh, junior
3: Rodriguez, a retired corpsman and executive assistant for Warrior Foundation.
1: There you go, beautiful. Uh, what are, what are the things you guys are doing lately at the Warrior Foundation? What's going on?
3: <clears throat> we are changing people's lives uh, one one step at a time. Um, We got one guy that we got a Bottex for, which is an electronic uh, attachment to the wheelchair. Uh, Changed his life.
1: Yeah, what is this? Sandy sent me a picture of this thing. Tell me about this.
3: Yeah, so it's a Bottex. So the Bottex actually gets attached to the everyday wheelchair and makes it motorized. So the guy can now move around. Like, it's changed his life forever. Like you you don't know how, how amazing it is to see him full of life now cuz you know before that we had him in a loner chair till we got his wheelchair up and he was just having a hard time like it would be hard for us to take him anywhere but now with this thing he has so much mobility and mo- so much independence that he's just having a blast
1: yeah tell me about that like tell me more about the before right cuz this here what what so we have a service member right so he's in the military strong guy fit guy can do whatever he wants physically. Go anywhere, walk anywhere, whatever. Uh and what do you know what his injuries were?
3: Yeah, he was a he was in a he was in the Marine Corps. Uh was in a helicopter accident and uh actually broke his uh lower back. Okay. So, so he's so, paralyzed from uh he's <clears throat> from the waist down.
1: Okay. So, par- so now like that identity is taken from him entirely. Uh so even a wheelchair is like a technological advancement at one point in time, right? Um, but still not, you know, not going to make the difference that he wants. But so what's the oh, difference yeah. between where he was versus this?
3: Uh before that, the guy was real depressed like always in his, his apartment, he felt like he was more of a a, <clears throat> a bother to everybody because, mm-hmm. you know, we would have to get him into his car, into a car to get him to go anywhere, put his wheelchair up, you know. So it was it was hard for him. It was really difficult. I mean, he needed help with everything, you know. It was just, it was hard for him. He was really depressed.
1: Yeah, it's awesome that you guys could help him out with that. Uh, what else? Give yeah, me another, give me another success story. You guys, you got still more people coming in all the time. I mean, it's one oh of these yeah, things, we still have... right? We think we think yeah. the wars are over and it's all done, but
3: no. Uh, another success story is Edwin Love. Uh, he used to live here at Freedom Station too. Uh, double lung trans- uh, trans- uh, transplant. Uh, you know, ended up getting married to his caretaker uh unfortunately ended up getting sick again ended up in the hospital you know and uh we were able to buy him a motorized chair for him to get up and down when he got home out of the hospital and you know it's just small things like that that you don't understand
1: because
3: you know he's got to learn how to walk again you know and it's just small things like that that you know we're we're doing love it Uh, mike mike spivey's in the paralympics just competed uh number 12 in the world
1: yeah. Talk about coming in at a low point. Spivey. How do you know how many years ago Spivey came into Warrior Spivey Foundation? Spivey came into Warrior Foundation in two thousand and ten, I believe. Okay. Yeah, in a bad place. And now Oh yeah,
3: really dark place. Like really dark. Like uh, Sandy tells a story that he was laying on the ground one day and he said that he was gonna find a way to wear his uh to represent the flag again and he'd has
1: Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, so he was paralympic in the uh, snowboarding and did he get 15th place, I think? You got twelve, I believe. 12th, okay, cool. Awesome. So cool. Uh, yep. Throw Sandy on the phone if you don't mind, Junior. Yes, of course. One moment. Hi, Mike. Sandy, how do you I, do?
2: Uh, real good. I just wanted to share with everyone that what you do for us, enabling us to get the word out of what we're we're making happen for our warriors is God's work. And I truly want you to know just how different Nick's life is. We're still working on getting some handicapped spots out in front of Freedom Station, too. Um, it's just amazing. And one thing I wanted to share with you that's kind of pertinent to what's happening in the world right now is Junior, who you were talking to, is a, a Purple Heart recipient, more than one, and he did 13 tours for us overseas as oh. a he's a corpsman. And so they called him. They just called what? him. And when to do what? um <clears throat> my understanding is that they wanted him to go back to Poland and they wanted him to assist in some fashion with Whoa. younger Corman. And my thought was in my mind, I immediately put my hand on his arm and held held his arm down on my desktop. <laughs> and I, I'm thinking frantically, how do I explain to this man that I need him here? He needs to help me take care of the warriors here. And he said to me, ma'am, I move too slow. My neck is shot. I've had 13, you know, tours. I've been in different explosions and i just told him i can't go and my heart just slowed Uh i mean it was amazing he contemplated going these Mm -hmm. guys would say i'll put deck plate on the side of my wheelchairs and go back um but at this point as we all know uh we are told that you know we're kind of on hold and we're standing down and so i just wanted to share that it's still very real for our warriors
1: Yeah, it may have felt in these last few years like a lull. It wasn't, but it may have felt like it, but I fear that it it won't even feel like a lull anymore. uh, Right,
2: and on the flip side, um, we uh, just had an amazing, amazing event at Men's Warehouse. We took over 55 active-duty Marines and sailors that are going to be transitioning out of the military, and so that's a tough Day for them, right? And I don't have enough housing for all of them. But when you take one uniform away and you give them a beautiful suit that enables them to go out in the world with their injuries and interview for job interviews, and thanks to your donors, we were able to give over 55 beautiful suits from Men's Warehouse to these warriors and make them look really, really awesome yes. before Valentine's Day.
1: <laughs> so uh, it was good. Yeah, well, listen, listen Warrior Foundation has been the site of a couple uh, a couple marriages over the years. So it, making these guys look a little to, spiffy well, <laughs> isn't uh, the worst thing. Although
2: that, that does not come with the program. No, I just that's want not. To make that really <laughs> far. Okay, okay,
1: okay. <laughs> so, um, um, do we have we any we events also, coming up?
2: Well, we do. On April 7th, we have a need for some volunteers to help do 300 Easter baskets for the guys. And these are Easter baskets, but let's not be silly here. These are grown men. They have gas cards in them. They have. And everything has been cleared through the military so that it's a little bit different kind of Easter basket. But we do truly have a lot of needs, and there's a needs list. We box them and we send them overseas. Now, that's not saying that they're going to Baghdad, but we do have a lot of military in Bahrain, and they do have needs. We have needs for guys in Djibouti, and all of our Navy ships are out there and can hardly pull into any ports because of the COVID situation. So when you're on a ship with, um, you know, 2,000 men or 600 men, um, and you can't get off that ship for a good six months, it's kind of nice to get a box with, I don't know, different things in it that they really need. And I have a list up on our Facebook that tells what they need, but I am being told right now to hold off on the beef jerky. They got plenty, mm-hmm. but that they need things like cup of macaroni meals that they can make in a microwave and throw the bowls away and throw things away. So we're working very currently with our active duty to get meet the needs that they have. So, right. uh, And then... And- I was honored. We got to go up to Huntington Beach and do a presentation for Freedom Station 3. I don't know where that will lead to or where it will go, but it was an honor to meet the mayor um, up there in Huntington Beach and all of the people that are the real shakers up there in Huntington Beach and talk to them about Freedom Station. Do do you think it
1: would be up there and not San Diego?
2: Actually, um, well, you know me, I'm always like dreaming, dreaming what, what, what's going to be the best for the guys, and I honestly think that there are some units in Vista, which is on the back side of Camp Pendleton, yeah. which might be a better choice, but I am willing to have, um, you know, something up in Huntington Beach, and maybe we change that a little bit to be Freedom Station destination, so the guys that have maybe lived here, but need a place to still be together shoulder to shoulder up there. And who wouldn't want to live in Huntington Beach out by Patriots Point? You know, I mean, that's just a beautiful idea and concept. So we have a lot in the works, and there are a lot of needs. I know everybody says there are a lot of needs, but these guys are our national treasure. And I do think that we need to continue taking care of them, and we need to be very mindful that our military is our power, our country's power. So I'm doing everything I can up at Camp Pendleton, um, at the Naval Medical Center, San Diego, and all over the country to meet their needs. And you are the one that helps us do that, Mike.
1: Warriorfoundation.org. Not me, warriorfoundation.org. It's everyone listening right now, warriorfoundation.org. we got to go. Can you throw Junior on the phone, though, real quick? You betcha. Here he comes. Yes, sir. Hey, Junior, i only got a minute, but... um, and say what you can, but what would they have a retired corpsman do in Europe right now?
3: Well, there's uh, contracting companies that use us uh, to go help uh, help them out out there. And uh, they were looking for corpsmen and combat medics to uh, help with the situation over there. So we would train uh, train people to the basics for life support.
1: Would you to train get them to a hire. civilians or like like NATO forces or Americans or Polish or
3: other con- other contractors and whatever they needed.
1: Wow, that's wild. Yeah, that's amazing that that need exists so drastically yeah. right now. And uh, yeah, I actually have a
3: couple of buddies that that decided to do it, so they're yeah. getting ready to punch out on April in April.
1: Whoa, and more to come, I'm sure. Uh, all right, you're the man, Junior. Good to hear from you, bro. You too, WarriorFoundation.org, WarriorFoundation.org. Go donate, volunteer, sign up. I mean, come on. That's part of being in San Diego, right? Helping these guys out. We're a military town. Let's keep it that way. WarriorFoundation.org. I, how could this possibly have happened? Russia Channel One, is like their big popular, or I don't know if it's popular, I guess, but like state TV station, their evening news, the, the woman's broadcasting, and someone jumped behind her with a sign that said no war don't believe the propaganda they're lying to you here <laughs> what that woman is dead now i don't mean, know right how, how is she gonna live no way they're gonna allow that that's amazing how'd she get there how did she get in the building how'd she get near the anchor that is uh crazy um just in in light of talking to sandy and junior uh this is a quinnipiac poll. What would you do if you were in the same position as Ukrainians are now? Stay and fight, or leave the country? Stay and fight, or leave the country? Now, tricky questions, variables, and you know who, whatever. There's a lot going on there. But generally, how would you answer that question? Fifty-two percent of of Democrats said they would leave if America was invaded. Fifty-two percent said they would leave. You're saying, "Well, the Republicans would stick around." Forty percent, only forty, said they would stick around. No, no, no excuse me, excuse me. Flip it around. Uh, sixty-eight said, sixty-eight percent said they would, they would, they would stay. That's not great. It's still not like as high as you'd think. I found a picture of my grandpa in World War Two with uh, some of his fellow patriots. Uh, he was a stud, just an absolute manly man. No way. He was served up in the uh, the Illusion Islands up in Alaska. No way would he cut and run if America were invaded. There's <laughs> just no chance, not even, no way. Matthew Hennessy said, uh, I don't say I'm Rambo or anything, but come on. If you won't fight to save your home and family, what the heck would you fight for? And everyone knows that's the wrong answer. Gosh, I'd love, like everyone knows you stay and fight. You know that's right. But there are more and more uh, we were just here let me give an example let me, let me pull this up here um let me find this here my point here is uh going to be that there's a concerted effort here's a concerted effort uh by academia that's now everywhere to make this country not one worth fighting for and now we see it reflected in this poll it's all very hypothetical and you but i don't know do you have much more hope that when things hit the fan that people would suddenly spring back into their patriotic zeal i don't know i hope so um here's a book it doesn't even matter what book uh we also need to address how language is used in this volume the book is written is this book is written in english a linguistic vestige of settler colonialism and white supremacy in the united states it is the language of the victors and it was used english was used to carry out attempted cultural genocide our use of english so we, we i guess everything should be written in kumi or something i don't know our use of english carries the le- this legacy with it we recognize that when we use english to communicate we are fundamentally bound by the politics of racism patriarchy sexism capitalism and colonization buried within the english language holy cow can't even speak in english without it being this whole like oh like we're the worst we're awful <laughs> can't even write a book. (laughs) Like, oh, this book is written in a language of settler colonialism and, oh, unbelievable. So maybe it's not that unbelievable that so many people would be like, yeah, if I were invaded, I'd run. Where, by the way, where would you go? Coming up next, we got to talk about uh, FedCoin. CBDC what in the world is cbdc watch out for it tell you about it next spread the word
0: 18 plus.